Let me welcome everyone, and uh, if there are new visitors, please do feel at work, uh, to please do feel welcome. Um, we've been going through the gospel according to Mark. Today we are in chapter six. Mark chapter six. We'll look at verse fourteen up until verse twenty-nine. Those are the vo- verses that we will be focusing on this morning. And I want to speak to you on the subject of killing the conscience. And um, it's not just, you know, um, we should not just listen to it as, as you know, a, a topic, but it should be a warning to us so that we cultivate a conscience that is always sensitive to God's calling, um, a, a conscience that is always sensitive to, to God's word. So we're looking at Mark chapter 6, verse 14 to 26. I read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus, um, King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name, Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his uh, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when, 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 when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed um, to her, saying, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what shall I ask? And and she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in and uh, immediately with haste to the king and said, uh, uh, saying, "I, I I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on the platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oath and his guess, he did not want to break his word to her and immediately he sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head he went in and beheaded him in the prison and brought brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother when his disciples heard of it they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb this is God's word let us pray Lord we um, draw near to you this morning. Our prayer is that you will speak to us, awaken our consciences, even as we read 
this sad narrative. May you remind us of the importance of keeping a pure conscience before you, of keeping a short record of sin. We, we pray that you may help us to honor, love, glorify, and live for you. Speak to us today through your word and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' presence, name we pray. Amen. This passage that we just read is one of the saddest in the entire Bible. It records the events surrounding the death of John the Baptist. He was a special man, chosen for a special mission. He was a forerunner of the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of several Old Testament passages and prophecies. He, he was the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last to be killed for his faith in the Old Testament period and the first in the New Testament period. He was a true man of God. And Jesus Christ testified of John the Baptist in this way in Matthew chapter 11 verse 11. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has, uh, uh, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. While this passage reveals the details of John's death, it also records the death of something else. This passage records the death of a conscience. Our text speaks of a man named Herod. He was a wicked man who ruled uh, one-fourth of, of Palestine at the time. His father was uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was that king who, had been, who, who was ruling when Jesus was born. Remember, it was him who had ordered the deaths of all the infants in, in Bethlehem in an effort to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ because he wanted to protect his kingship. When Herod died, the emperor, the Roman emperor, divided his kingdom into four parts. One part was given to the man in our text who is Herod Antipas. He, he, he wasn't really a king. He was actually what we call a tetrarch, um, which means ruler of a fourth part. So because the kingdom was divided into four parts, each was given to someone else. And, and this part was given to Herod Antipas. But um, in his ego, he demanded that his subjects call him king. Herod Antipas ruled from 4 AD to about 39 AD. He was banished to what is now called France by the Roman emperor for demanding to be made king in um, AD uh, 39. Jesus summed up the character of Herod Antipas once by calling him a fox. Remember in Luke chapter 13 verse 32? And we will talk more about this man and his background as we move through the passage. What we see in these verses is a picture of how a person can sin against their conscience to the point that they are incapable of uh, you know, you know, doing anything good. They, they are capable of anything evil in the world. It is possible to ignore the warnings of your heart, your soul, and your mind until those warnings cannot be heard. 
It is possible to so deaden the conscience that it no longer stands as a barrier between the individual and any sin they choose to commit. That is why some people can do things they do without remorse or guilt. They, they, They have... In other words, seared their conscience to the point where it, feels, where it feels nothing and no longer warns them about evil. That their conscience feel nothing anymore. Before we go any further, we need to talk a bit about the conscience. A lot of people are confused about the conscience and what it does. And many people believe that the conscience was given to us to help us make decisions between right and wrong. Uh, That is a false assumption. That the conscience will only resist any deviation from truth or the right and wrong it knows. Let me give you an example. If your conscience is shaped by the scriptures, anything that you do that deviates from the scriptures, your conscience will tell you. But let's say you, you grew up in a context, in a worldview that is not... Uh, you know, shaped by the scriptures that is not shaped by a Christian perspective. In fact, you grow up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a worldview where stealing is a norm. If you go to town and you see something, uh, a phone that you can easily take, and that day you don't take it, your conscience is going to eat you up the whole day why you did not take it. Because that is the way it has been shaped and trained. So, in other words, the conscience is not an automatic thing that is able to tell the difference between right and wrong. It is informed. It is informed by, first, our upbringing, right? And then when when we come to faith, it is informed by the scripture, the the Christian worldview. If you start to do something the Bible says is a sin, your conscience will rise up and tell you to stop. If, if your conscience is, is, is informed by the scriptures. That is why so many people are in such trouble today. They, they have adopted a philosophy that says, if it feels good, do it. As a result, they do not live by the truth of the word of God, uh, but by the feelings of their flesh. They, they do as they please, and their conscience never bothers them. The most dangerous thing any person can do is to sin against the truth. Paul tells us that sinning against a good conscience leads to spiritual shipwreck. You destroy your faith. A a good conscience, again, is one that knows the truth and desires to be obedient to the truth. When people know the truth and and reject it in favor of of their own standards of of right and wrong, they sin against what the Bible calls a good conscience. That is what we see in our text today. This passage records the death of a conscience or how to kill a conscience. And please follow along with me as I point out the lessons contained in this verse in these verses that we just read, as we move through this text, and I, I allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Ask yourself in the question, am I killing my conscience by following a particular life? Am I uh, killing the conscience by indulging in a particular sin? Obey his word as you, you speak 
to your conscience. As, as you allow the word to address you, as you allow the word to speak to you, obey his word as he speaks to you today. And then do not sin against your own conscience. Let's look first. We'll start with verse 17 to verse 20. We see Herod's confusion here. Herod's confusion. When Herod heard about the ministry of Jesus and about the miracles that he performed, Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. We will come back to verse 14 and 16. Don't think that I'm skipping those verses. We will come back to them and I'll show you how they tie in well together with the passage. First, we need to consider the background of Herod's belief that, that John had somehow come back to, from the dead. In, in verse 17 to verse 29, uh, they, they form what we call a, a parenthetical uh, passage. We are transported back in time to the events surrounding the death of John the Baptist. Mark allows us to see Herod's flashback regarding the death of John the Baptist. Have you seen in a movie where um, someone is looking back and they play that scene. This is what Mark does after he has explained in verse 14 to 16. Now he gives us Herod's flashback as Herod looks back at the events of John's life. These verses reveal a soul in conflict. Herod is fighting the battle between the flesh and the spirit. He is confused and, and conflicted, and that is clearly revealed in these passages. Look at verse 17 and verse 18. Herod held John in prison. We are told that Herod arrested John for preaching against his sins. If things haven't been confusing enough already, we are going to take a moment to consider Herod's family tree. A better name would be a palm, since it doesn't really branch. Now, now let us look, consider it this way. Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. We, we know Herod the Great, right? Um, who killed um, those children in, 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 in Bethlehem. Among his half-brothers, uh, Aristobulus. Aristobulus was killed by his own father. Herod the Great was considered to be really ruthless, that he wanted to protect his uh, kingdom at all costs, that even his son who was coming after him, he killed him to stop him from taking the throne. He was also the half-brother half of Herod Philip. So um, Aristobulus was killed by his father and Herod Philip. Herod the Great had at least five wives, and its sons and daughters by all of them. Herod Antipas, the man in our text, married the daughter of Aretas I, an Arabian king. Herod Philip married Herodias, right? The, 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 the woman in our text, who was the daughter of his half-brother half -brother, um, Aristobulus. She was um, his half-niece. They, they had a daughter named Salom as well. The, the girl who danced for Herod Antipas had double uncle, uh, a half uncle and stepfather. Herod Philip was disinherited by his father Herod the Great. He and Herodias then moved to Rome. Herod Antipas and his wife visited his brother in Rome and Herod Antipas fell in love with his half-niece and sister-in-law Herodias. They had an affair 
and, and both left their spouses and married one another. And this is where we find them. Are you confused yet? <laughs> it was this arrangement that John repeatedly condemned. The phrase in verse 18 had said, or as, as, as the ESV puts it, um, that John said, uh, he, he kept saying, so it gives us, it suggests a repeated action, that it was not just a sermon that he gave one day, or it was not a sin that he called just once. Every time Herod was around, John preached against incest and adultery from the law of God. John was not looking to be in the good books of Herod, was he? He was not looking to be part of the political elite. He, he was not looking to be on the good side of the politicians. He, he spoke the truth. Even if that truth meant his life was at risk. Isn't that what we need today, brothers and sisters? To, to speak the truth regardless of what happens to us. Herod was upset by this kind of preaching. It, it seems that Herodias, on the other hand, was even more upset when you look at verse 17. And so Herod had John thrown in prison. Uh, this is not the proper response to biblical preaching, is it? When a preacher takes the Bible and preaches the truth from it, that, that there will be times when he will get a little close to where you are living. You, you'll feel like someone has told him about your life. In fact, let me say this as a, as a in parentheses of um, if you feel like the sermon is about you it is about you it is about you it is not about the, the person sitting next to you it is about you it is time for you to reckon with God the, the, the right response to God's word is not to be angry at God's word. It is not to be angry at God. It is to see the grace of God in addressing your heart and respond favorably to God's word. When the truth gets closer to home, you have several choices. First of all, you can ignore the message. And that is dangerous because it can lead to a dead conscience. Secondly, you can attack the preacher. This is also dangerous because God will judge you for that response. And besides that, if, you, if the preaching is preaching the truth, if the preacher is preaching the truth, he really is just delivering the mail, is he? If you have an issue, take it up with the Lord. Thirdly, you can bring the need to the Lord. You can let him work in your life to bring you to a place of repentance and blessing. Remember 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are swiftly approaching an hour when preachers in this country of ours are going to be persecuted for the message we preach. There's a bill that is uh, currently um, being tabled. It's called the Papuda uh, Bill. 
this bill will curtail certain religious liberties in South Africa. It is a bill that says um, to preach against homosexuality is, um, is hate speech, to preach against abortion, to preach against um, the, the, the sins that are considered sacred in, in our day and celebrated, um, you know, and to preach against those. They say that a pastor will be arrested for three and a half years if he preaches against homosexuality. And if he's a repeat offender, he will be arrested again for five years. So we are seeing that, although we are not experiencing the kind of persecution, the, 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 the countries that uh, we, 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 we are praying for are experiencing, that is coming our way. Remember we took time as Solar Five churches and, and pastors to pray about this and to respond, to write letters to the government against this bill. But we don't know how it will turn out. And if it is passed, to stand and preach against the LGBTQI plus plus up until whatever letter that they want will mean that you're, create, you're committing a criminal offense. Isn't that what, what we need to embody the boldness of John? We, 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 we are not called to be pleasers of men. The, the gospel is being considered hate speech. To preach against sin is considered hate speech. The days are coming when those who dare to speak the truth are going to face hardship and persecution. And we must be ready, brothers and sisters. We must remember where our commitment first lies. In verse 19, we see that Herod, with all his wickedness, helped John. While Herod disliked the message John preached, Herod protected John from the murderous ambitions of Herodias. She, she refused to forgive John for what he preached, and she held hatred in her heart for the man of God. Herod's confusion it is clear to see. He hated the fact that John was telling him the truth about his sins, but still wanted to, 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 to keep John around. This same love-hate relationship exists in our world when the preacher and some of those he preaches to, between the preacher and some of those he preaches to, they hate it when he exposes their sins, yet they do not hesitate to call him when they have a need in their life. In verse 20, Herod used to hear John. And this is the most amazing verse in this very section. Herod did not like the fact that John exposed his sin. He still wanted John around. And let's examine this verse for just a moment. Shall we verse uh, 20? Can we have it put on the projector there? Uh, Herod had a reverential fear 
of the, the, the Baptist because he knew that John was a genuine man of God. He knew that he was a holy man and a righteous man. And Herod observed John, right? He kept him safe. He kept John the Baptist safe under constant guard. He didn't want John to expose his sins, but he didn't want anything bad to happen to John as well. When Herod had uh, John preach, he, 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 he did many things, right? He, he did many things. And this can be interpreted in two ways, and, and I think both are true. First, when Herod had John, he was perplexed. That is, he, when, what he had caused him great conflict of soul. He, he, he heard the truth and recognized it as truth. A second, Herod did some of the things John told him to do. He, he, he may have reformed his, his life to a certain point, but not to the point of giving up Herodias. Right? There, there, there's what we call, uh, Thomas Watson calls, uh, our darling sins. That, that we can leave other things, but some of our darling sins we try to protect as much as possible. We, we, we don't want to let them go. So Herod had a darling sin. And, 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 and even when, when John was preaching uh, as, as, as powerfully as he did, he held on to his darling sin. The truth touched Herod's heart and he tried to dull the pain of conviction by doing some good things. The, the, the most amazing part of this verse, it tells us that Herod had him gladly. The idea is that Herod enjoyed hearing John preach the word of God. He didn't intend to change his whole life and surrender it all to the Lord, but he liked the, the, the preacher and he loved to hear him preach. <laughs> sometimes, brothers and sisters, sometimes we just like the entertainment of words. Uh, those words do not fall in our hearts and change us. We, we just like the fact that this man sounds good when he speaks, but we're not hearing him. We, we, we're not allowing the Spirit to speak and convict us because we love our sin soul. This is what God said to, to Ezekiel, that these people love their sin so much that they are going to love hearing you because Ezekiel was a good orator. They are just going to love hearing you, but they will remain in their sins. Brothers and sisters, that is the worst place to be in. The most dangerous place you can find yourself in is, is, is a place where truth is spoken and remain hardened to the truth. King Herod is one confused man. There are many people just like Herod in our world today. They get caught up in the preaching or the personality of the man, but they miss the point of the message. They like to hear their favorite preacher preach, but they have no intentions of doing anything that the Bible is telling them to do. That is a dangerous way to live. When God speaks to your heart, he is extending grace to you that you do not deserve. He's showing you that he cares about you, that he loves you, and that he has a better plan for your life. When he points out your errors in the word of God, he does so because he loves you and he wants to change your life. He wants you to let go 
of that darling sin. Don't be like Herod and play around the things of God. Herod kept John and treated him like he was a pet parrot. He, he treated the word of God like he, he could do as he pleased with it. Nothing sears or hardens the conscience any quicker than saying no to the word of God. If, if the Lord has been speaking to you about an area in your life, if you're living in immorality, living a life that is unpleasing to God, you need to heed his voice and obey his word without delay. To do otherwise is to is to 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 to, to court death. Now, in verse 21 to 28, we see now Herod's crime. Herod's crime. These verses chronicle the tragic death of John. He was a mighty man of God, but he was sacrificed on the altar of hatred, self-gratification, and lust. Uh, Let's look in one of the events surrounding John's death, shall we? Verse 21 and verse 22, it involved a sinful dance. Herodias had been bidding her time, waiting for an opportunity to see John the Baptist put to death. She saw her chance at Herod's birthday bash. This supper was nothing more than a drunken party for Herod and his men. But when they were drunk with wine, Herodias sprang up. She introduced her trap. She sent her teenage daughters, Salom, to dance for Herod and his friends. This particular dance would have been a suggestive, sensual, and sexual dance designed to inflame the passions of the men in the room. These dances were usually performed by professional dancers or by prostitutes hired for the event. Her dance had the desired effect for Herod and those with him were captivated by the beautiful youngster. This act reveals the wickedness that was in the heart of Herodias. Imagine, imagine putting your daughter on display in that fashion. Imagine sending her out to dance for a man who was both her uncle and stepfather. What wickedness. What wickedness. In verse 22b to verse 25, we see a senseless declaration from Herod. Herod's passions are inflamed by the girl's dance and he promises to give her anything she desires, up to half of his kingdom. It was a foolish boast designed to make Herod look good in, the front, in front of his guests. The girl runs to her mother to seek advice and, and on, you know, on what she should ask from the king. Her mother, without hesitation, tells her daughter to request the head of John the Baptist. The, the, the girl runs back and reveals her heart when she tells Herod that she, she wants John's head. But she adds her own twist to the, to the request by telling him that she wanted it now. And she wanted it served up on a plate. In verse 26 to verse 29, we see a shameful deed. Herod realizes immediately that he made a mistake. He, he should have at this moment said, I promised you a gift, not murder. But he's afraid of losing face in front of his guests. So he sends the executioner 
and John is immediately beheaded. The, the grisly trophy is then presented to Salom, and with that, the Baptist is dead. His disciples come and take his body away for burial. As we watch Herod in these verses, we are witnessing the death of his conscience. He refused to accept the word of God and change his ways. Then he listened to John preach repeatedly and said no to the word. Now he has crossed the line and done the unthinkable. He has put this man he both feared and admired to death all because of the anger of his wife. This is a tragic sin. There are several lessons for us here if we listen to them. First of all, these verses reveal the devastating power of hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness. It is better to follow the command of God and forgive those who hurt you than it is to be consumed alive by bitterness and hatred. The Bible calls us to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. These verses reveal the dangers involved in the use and abuse of alcohol and mind-altering drugs. They, they, they will take all of your life. They will take control of your life, lower your inhibitions, and lead you to do things you never would have thought of doing otherwise. The proverb says, wine is a mocha, a strong alcohol is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by both is not wise. Again, these verses reveal the danger of not controlling your tongue. What you say can harm you and it can harm others. Lastly, we see Herod's conscience. Herod's conscience, and now we're going back to verse 14 to verse 16. Look at verse 14 and verse 16 with me. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. When he heard about Jesus and what he was doing, his conscience made one last attempt to point him toward the truth. But by this time, his conscience had been so ignored and abused, it is hardly functioning at all. Let's listen to the last gasp of a dying conscience. We see his contrition, his conviction. In verse 14, as soon as Herod hears about the miracles, the, the message and the ministry of Jesus, Herod immediately assumes that Jesus is John resurrected from the dead. It is amazing that he would lead to this conclusion. Herod was a member of the party of the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees denied supernatural, uh, the, the supernatural, anything supernatural, and they did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, another amazing thing is the fact that John the Baptist did, did no miracles during his ministry. Herod assumes that the miracles could only be done by a man returned from the dead. The guilt over what he did is eating him alive. He, he, he knows he killed an innocent, decent, and good man. His conscience is bothering him, and he's sure that John the Baptist has come back to haunt him. That is the power of guilt, isn't it? It will eat you alive. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You can't escape its word. 
It shows up when you are alone. Guilt comes calling in the dead of the night when everyone else is silent. When you are all by yourself and you can't sleep. Even in your most comfortable bed you will roll all night because your guilt eats you up. It gnaws at the soul and eats away at the mind. The only solution for guilt over past sins is to bring those sins to Jesus. It is not to cover those sins, but to allow the blood of Jesus to cover and wash away your sins. When they, they are brought to him, Jesus forgives the sin and removes the guilt. He sets you free from the monster of guilt. Verse 15 to 16, we see his confession now. Some people around Herod and around the region were saying that Jesus was Elijah of one of the other prophets. Herod was convinced that Jesus is none other than John the Baptist. Then Herod makes a startling confession. Listen to his confession. He says, John whom I beheaded. Whom I beheaded. That is I. The I here is emphatic. It is ego. Ego a me. I. It is an emphatic personal pronoun. Herod is saying, whom I and I alone beheaded. He is confessing his guilt, but he is not seeking forgiveness from the hand of God. There is confession, but there is no repentance. Thus, there is no salvation. There is only the death of a conscience, and Herod stifles the last effort of his wounded soul to call him to God. It is one thing to know your guilt of sin. It is another thing altogether for you to get honest about sin. When you get honest about your sins and confess them to the Lord, He will forgive your sins. When there is a desire to repent or turn away from sin, there can be salvation. You know Christians, they sin, oh God, oh God, not again, not again, and they run back to that same sin. And after that, oh God, oh God... And it is a process. We see that. Confession but no repentance. As Augustine writes in in his book, uh, uh, Confessions of Augustine, he says, he, he says, God make me pure, but not yet. Just not yet. (laughs) He wants to continue in his sin, but he wants purity. But he wants to continue. But when he calls, when God calls and you ignore that call, choosing to remain in your sin, there's nothing left for you but judgment. God can cleanse you. God can restore you. God can give you new life. He only does these things in the face of a good conscience that long to do right. When, he, when, when his call is ignored, the conscience begins to die. If the, if the call is rejected long enough and often enough, the conscience will die altogether. And at that point, God may call, but his voice will not be heard. More likely is the truth that God will abandon the sinner the way he or she has chosen. When God calls you to do his will and all you want to do is your will, God will one day say, your will be done. Do not kill your conscience by ignoring the call of God. Come. He is calling you. 
He is calling you. Now look at Luke chapter, as we conclude, Luke chapter 23, verse 6 to verse 11. We see here Herod's condemnation. Herod's condemnation. When Pilate heard this, he said whether the man was a Galilean, and he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign, some, see him do some sign. So he questioned him at some length, but he had no answer. The chief priest and the scribe stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, uh, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before, uh, before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he had sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. I want to read from my notes, but... Have you heard this passage, brothers and sisters? How Herod has an opportunity before Jesus. How Jesus has come in front of Herod. And instead of surrendering his life before him, he treats him with contempt. Herod and Pontius Pilate were, were enemies. <laughs> and they unite. And not because of their love for Christ, but because of their sin and hatred for Christ. They unite over contempt of Christ. The, 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 the calling and the knowing of the conscience is silenced one final time. Now, wonder, brothers and sisters, just going to stop here. This was not supposed to be where I stop. I'm just going to stop here. I wonder if you're living in a sin, but you continue to protect it. You continue to hide it. We continue to fraternize with people that dishonor Jesus because of that sin. You surround yourself with people that blaspheme the name of God. Yet you call yourself a Christian. I wonder if there is a darling sin in your heart that you are hiding and you're protecting. That when the word of God speaks against you, you push the word of God away. You hate the fact that that sin is spoken against. You don't mind other things spoken against. 
You, you, can tra- you can reform your life over other things. But this one sin, I wonder if you're keeping that sin in your heart. You see, God, whenever he exposes sin, he doesn't do it to embarrass you. Whenever he brings your sin to the surface, as the word is being preached, he doesn't do it so that he can, he, he can make you a spectacle. He, he does it because he loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to walk in his ways and he's calling you. Can you hear his voice this morning? Can, can you hear him speaking against that sin? Whether it is sexual in nature, whether it is a sin of, of lying, whether it is a sin of hatred, a, a sin of, 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 of bearing anger in your heart. Can you hear him? Can, can you hear him calling uh, you away from that darkness into his marvelous light? Do, do you hear him this morning speaking to you? There is no greater danger than the danger of hearing the truth and remaining in yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are people that oftentimes follow our own hearts as the mantra of the world tells us. People that find ourselves at times enjoying our sin more than fellowship with you. We do not realize how our conscience are being misled. Our conscience are, are dying in the process. Convict us, Lord. Lord, do not turn your face away from us. 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 Amen.